Okay, so let's clap and then we'll start things off. All right. One, two, three. Oh, do three claps, okay. One, two, three. Right. I just did the one. <laughs> Numbers are different in America, too. Yeah, when I say three, you do three. Wait, so we, do we do one, two, three, yeah, and then yeah, one, yeah. two, three? Yeah. I know we've got a time difference. I'm an hour behind. <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome or welcome back to this podcast. It's called Fire the Cannon. It is the podcast where we discuss the books of the Western canon. We tell you if they belong or not, for the most part. But we do other things sometimes. Basically, always literarily related. And as usual, I'm your host, Rachel. As usual, I'm your other host, Jackie. And occasionally, Mm -hmm. I am your guest, Jacob. Hello. That's true. And he's also occasionally our editor, producer. Hasn't been for a little bit, but he pops in there. mm -hmm. He's not a robot this time, y'all. He's a real guy. (laughs) Can you say something, Jacob, to convince everyone for sure that you're not a robot? Because people have questions. This is like a Turing test. I don't know. How how are you supposed to pass like a Turing test? I think you did it. It sounds like you just did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. figured it out. I don't know, but that's what a robot would say, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it would probably say like, I'm sorry, due to open AI policies, I am not allowed to <laughs> complete this task. <laughs> yeah, no, I assure your listeners I am a real person. Okay. Well, they also seem to think my robot is a real person, so it doesn't matter whether anyone <laughs> passes or fails the Turing test. Everyone's going to think. Honestly, I blame C-3PO. He made us think that all robots have English accents. <laughs> so, wait, by that logic, people seem to not be able to understand C-3PO is a robot and they think he's real. Yeah, we're just used to hearing robotic English accents, so we don't know, is it is it a robot? Yeah, yeah. Is it okay. a person? Well, compared to R2-D2, he is less of a robot. What? That's true. Not true Like, if all. you're going to compare him to R2-D2, one seems more humanoid than the other, right? To me, R2-D2, R2-D2 has much more pathos. <laughs> I relate to him a lot more. <laughs> but he's not shaped like a human. Jacob, back me up. Uh, I think you're getting a little bit close to kind of like uh, robot racism. That yeah, you, Jack. You know, what? One has arms Jackie. and legs and a head and eyes. <laughs> so? Oh, speaking of, you know, humanoid characteristics, I I went downstairs to tell Steven, I, I said, guess what Jackie did? And he goes, what? And I said, well, we were recording with Jacob this morning. Jackie said we're doing it at 10 our time and for his time. And Stephen goes, I'm going to stop you right there. That's her first mistake. Never tell someone what time you're recording in their time. I didn't. I said 1600 his time, 10 a.m. our time. And you looked at it and Six- didn't say a thing. Girl, 1600 is four. Yeah. It's, I so thought we did. were six hours apart. Yeah, I did. And <laughs> no, I would yeah, so, have been right. So, Why didn't you correct me if you knew better? I don't care. What do you mean you don't if care? If I was going to tell someone what time, I would look it up is what I'm saying. But you told ah. me, so I accepted it. <laughs> to be fair, she may have looked up the time difference, um, which usually is six hours. But I think daylight savings is kind of... Yeah, but now it's five. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was different. And I did look it up, but I thought you were in a different time. I thought you were in a different time yeah, zone. I didn't yeah. know which American time oh, zone you so were So you in. didn't trust me, <laughs> rightfully. But yeah. So I did, I did look it up because... I've, I've kind of come across this problem before, but I just looked, I thought, basically America should just all be in one time zone. That's how you solve the problem. That, Jacob, that's crazy. Some of America no, is Hawaii. Yeah, t- same time zone, just checking the same time zone. <laughs> this is similar to my idea that London should have one train station. And okay. then if you need to get somewhere else, you walk. It's that simple. You get on the one train station and then you walk to where you need to go. 
Maybe ta- I'll allow a taxi. Disabled people be damned. <laughs> okay, no, no, I, I, no. In all the times I've said this to people, no one has ever brought that up as an objection. Literally never. Jackie's really online brained. But so wait, really what's online. your, why only one? What's the reason? Um, <laughs> Do people get confused or because something? Because of time zones? Yeah, oh, because that way you can't ever mess it up. Yeah, I, I honestly can't remember the reason. Um, people say, pick me up at the train station. And you're like, yeah, I'll be there. No need to tell me which one. I think it's just part of my anti-London bias. I think it's literally <laughs> They just should that. suffer. Yeah, yeah. Jacob, did you know that Jackie, it seems, has the idea that the state of North Carolina should have one airport? <laughs> yeah, that sounds fine. How big is North Carolina? I was just going to bring that up. From, from tip to tip, it's like an eight-hour drive. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. It doesn't sound like you guys even need one. <laughs> so let me tell you, we're going to get into the topic of which we have brought Jacob here to discuss a particular topic. We'll get there, but I'm just letting people know he is here for a reason, not just to chit chat. But first, let me tell you an amazing story. <laughs> two, two of them, right? Well, two amazing stories. Are you ready, Jacob, for this? Uh, go on. <laughs> so since this is the theme of the day is Jackie messing up. Um, Jackie's logistical issues. <laughs> Jackie's logistical issues. Although I was pretty close to getting this time zone thing right. I, at Rachel's wedding, it was the day before. So we were doing the rehearsal dinner and I was already there and Theo was flying in. So I was going to pick Theo up at the airport and drive him to the rehearsal dinner. So he wouldn't have to get an Uber. It was like an hour drive. So we made these plans and it was going to be perfect. Now there are two airports each an hour apart from where I was and then an hour apart from each other as well. So it's like a perfect triangle. And as you can see where this story is going, I thought Mm -hmm. I went to the right airport, but obviously I didn't. So I drove an hour to this airport and I get there and Theo texts me and he's like, okay, I just landed. And I was like, great, I just pulled in. And he's like, I'm going to go out and sit on the benches. And I was like, cool, I see the benches. So I was like, I'm driving around the loop now. And he's like, okay. And so I drive around the loop and I get there and I'm looking and I'm looking. And he's like, okay, I'm at the end of the row of benches. And I'm like, great, I see the row of benches. I'm going to go to the end and I'm driving and I'm looking. And they all look like dudes who could almost be Theo. Like they're all just kind of like skinny white dudes. who look kind of nerdy. And I was like, okay, I'm on the right track. Just seems like the right clientele just got off this plane. And I texted him and I was like, I don't see you anywhere. And he was like, yeah, I don't see you either. Like, what are you looking at right now? And I was like, well, there's a big (laughs) loop and surrounded by pine trees. And he was like, yeah, right. And I was like, yeah. And there's a parking lot in the middle. And he was like, yeah, correct. And I was like, and there's a, like an old timey airplane decoration. And he was like, what? And I was like, you don't see the old timey airplane. And he was like, no. And I was like, oh, well, you must be on like the other side then because everything else was totally perfect. And he dropped me a pin and it said he was like 70 miles away. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) So I was like, Theo, I'm so sorry, but I wouldn't have had time for us to get to the rehearsal dinner if I went to get him. So he ended up having to Uber after all and I drove back by myself. Oh God, no! Did you do that again? No, you. Um, I did it at at New Year's. So, and then at New Year's this year, which is that's the only time I've ever done anything like that. Usually, I'm like hyper concerned about getting things right like that, so I don't waste a trip. And I'm like, okay, let's make a thousand percent sure you're at this airport, and I'm going to this. I'm always involved for some reason. Like I'm yeah. So now Rachel's involved in in this one too. 
Yeah, I think I've just become too reliant on technology or either that or like my anxiety treatment has worked so well that I no longer have enough anxiety to function. I'm just like, yeah, this is probably right. I'm not going to worry about it. And then at New Year's this year, I was going to drive from my mom's house to our friend Jordan's house where my sister Caitlin and Rachel and Steven were also going to meet us. And she gave me her address. I'm not going to say the address, but it was like four numbers and a fairly unique sounding address. It was like four numbers and on a street that's like it's not like main street or like elm street you know never heard of a street like that in my life ever i just figured that would be pretty much the only one so anyway long story short i plug in this i drive there and i'm like okay jordan i'm I'm here here. (laughs) uh but i don't seem to see any houses um it's like a road and there's like a golf course and a bunch of houses. same thing she's like um well okay what are you seeing and i'm like well i see this and this she's like i have no idea where you are like what are you are you sure you're in greensboro and i was like yeah jordan i'm fucking greensboro like come on like don't even don't even say that obviously i'm in greensboro um but again i looked at the pin and uh i was in Henderson? Like, I was yeah, in a, a place Henderson. called Henderson. I was almost in Virginia. <laughs> yeah, I was she almost was, in another she state. She was supposed to have driven basically due west, but instead she drove north and almost hit the border for the state above us. <laughs> wow. And then I was two hours away. Two hours, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure this is, you've only done this twice, though? I've done it twice, <laughs> and it was within the same couple months of each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. So I have not done a good job at anything in my life ever, but Jacob found a guy who he thought (laughs) did a good job at something, and he was texting us about this (laughs) in our little chat group. Yeah. And I'll let Jacob kind of give the introduction. Basically, we had um, another episode that we did years back, a year or two, I can't remember. Um, It was behind our Patreon wall, so you can join our Patreon and listen to it if you want, but it was called Fake Spear. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the historical theory that the man who we all know is William Shakespeare, who wrote the plays of Shakespeare, may not actually have been Shakespeare. Like, maybe somebody else wrote these plays or some of the plays under this nom de plume but wasn't actually him, or maybe he didn't exist at all in some versions of the theory. So, Well, I will do a little bit of a spoiler. So in that episode, we were very strongly pro-Shakespeare existing and being the guy, and we talked about how for most of the people who don't believe he was Shakespeare and wrote the stuff, people who don't believe Shakespeare was Shakespeare are called anti-Stratfordians. And for the most part, it is driven by like classism because Shakespeare was just this commoner guy who didn't have an amazing education. And so there's a long history of like wealthy people and like British aristocracy being like, oh, it's probably this Lord whatever instead mm-hmm. or some prince or whatever. So we were very much like, no, Shakespeare was a poor genius. He's awesome. We love him being a real dude who wrote the plays. Jacob said, yep. no, no, no. It's possible. No, no, wait. <laughs> so, so um, I, thought, I thought you were going to be even blunter about the usual like anti-Stratfordian people and just say they're brain dead because quite <laughs> frankly... They, they, and this I mean, is something Jacob, you were you were concerned about when we were like, "Hey, don't you want to come on and talk to us about this?" Because you have so many interesting points. You're like they're gonna think I'm crazy. Well, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, they were. They were. They were certainly think I was. I was crazy. Um, In England, do they come and beat you with a? Oh, I don't know what they have, like a billy club or something, because you don't have guns. <laughs> oh, that was a British thing. Good job. Yeah, yeah. If uh, 
Like, if you say that Shakespeare isn't Shakespeare, are they like, get off our island? You've been voted out. Hit you over the head with a crumpet. Yeah. Um, I think th- there are a fair few crazy. Whoa. So, crumpets, right, by the way, an amazing breakfast food. <laughs> Have you had a crumpet? Have you yeah, had crumpets? I've had one. I don't know if I've had a crumpet. I did a semester in London. I- I've had crumpets. Good, good. Crumpets are fantastic. I will. Yeah. Anyway. Are they like scones or are they different? They're scony, scones? aren't they? <sighs> Scone esque. Um, no, not really. Sc- scones are. Like- Aren't they kind of in between a scone and a biscuit or something? Oh, sorry. You have a different pastry for both of those words than we do. Oh, God. Yeah, oh, so, God. So, wait, okay. Wait, 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 wait. The cultural incompetence is describe, describe the texture to Jackie, the density. So, firstly, in the UK, in, in the South, they say scone, and in the North, we say scone. Uh, and that's, that's like a what big... What the fuck is wrong with you guys? <laughs> it's a big, um, I don't know. Scone. 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 Yeah, don't, don't, don't muffle. A scone. That's like if someone says to me, hey, is the train left? And then I'd be like, yeah, scone. Scone. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that is a typical joke. So a, a scone over here is is thick and heavy. It's quite buttery. It's it's And it's like sweet. Oh, it sounds like my kind of thing. Yeah. It is good. They're, they're very nice. But a, a crumpet is more like a very, like, maybe half an inch. No, maybe an inch thick kind of pancake. That's kind of, It's kind of like made from a pancake batter. But not sweet right you put sweet stuff on it yeah it's not inherently sweet no 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 it's not sweetened itself but you tend to put sweet things on it yeah yeah, yeah. anyway anyway that's a diversion they right? do beat so. you with one of those if you <laughs> deny our lord and savior shakespeare <laughs> um yeah so it's it's remarkable so a few this is i'll tell you the story i'll tell you the story so tell us the story. maybe it was two months ago um, I saw an advert for this documentary that's come out called, I can't remember what it's called, but it's about Shakespeare and it's a BBC documentary. And the advert starts with, how did a, a poor Glover's son uh, from, you know, the provinces um, write the greatest works in English literature? And I was immediately like, that's incensed. I was like, this is nonsense, you know. Yeah. Poor Glover's sons can't write anything. <laughs> that's what Jacob said. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, I mean, obviously the point of the documentary was telling the story and, and it was no in no way anti-Stratfordian. But no one asks the same of like Bach or Beethoven, who are essentially, you know, okay, slightly different time, different country, but basically from the same class, you know, like kind of mm-hmm. aspirational middle class. Because Shakespeare was not poor by any me- measure at all. He was like quite middle class. His, his father was quite well off. He got yeah. a grammar school education. He never wanted for gloves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The most important thing. His whole life. <laughs> Totally begloved. <laughs> begloved. <laughs> Shakespeare in glove. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was good. That was quite good. Yeah, yeah. They um, have to treat me like a baby on this now because we've made fun of me for so long. Yay, Jackie. Yeah, as I said, I was pretty much immediately in a sense. I was like, well, that's such a weird framing for a documentary to, to start with. And I thought, I talked to another one of my friends about this, about how like, weird it is it feels like it was kind of giving credence to that anti-stratfordian conspiracy theory but i also do think may- maybe there is like a because the uk like as everyone knows we're very weird about social class maybe it is just like a very <laughs> british thing because i said no one asks the same of you know certainly not of american uh, writers who were you know either working class or middle class no one asks the same of you know german classical musicians or, or from a very similar social class mm-hmm. i thought maybe it is just a demonstration of like weird british class anxieties that mm-hmm. we're the country that goes like how how could someone who wasn't you know one of our uh, saintly overlords uh, write anything good <laughs> maybe we're the only people who think that. anyway after that uh, i've been planning to because i have a uh, here's a little plug. I have a YouTube channel, Big Yellow Praxis, about music. And I was going to write yeah, yeah. a, put together a skip for a video just on creativity generally about how 
Well, basically, I think we should be a lot more relaxed about plagiarism. If, if someone's, you know, there is there's such a thing as being over the line. Hot take, okay. But broadly speaking, well, because my argument is simply this, like, we know for a fact, well, we would not accept Shakespeare's, like, creative process today. Right. Um, we just wouldn't accept it from people because Why? Um, we've always known he has wholesale taken entire plots from other people. Like, mm-hmm. that's a given. As it goes without saying, that's like, like, it's just what people did back then. But we've always known he has wholesale taken bits of, for example, uh, Michel de Montaigne, like bits of his translation and just reworked it into like a speech. I think that was in The, the Tempest, maybe. And we've always known, I remember studying this at university, that Antony and Cleopatra, Coriolanus and Julius Caesar uh almost it's fair to say like 70 to 80 percent of the text of those plays is just based on a translation of plutarch by this guy called thomas north he basically just got the plays he did that he had like little subplot here and there Yeah, he would be very cancelled if he did that today. <laughs> yeah so and i my argument is just like well if we agree that shakespeare's really good surely we want more shakespeare's so Surely we should be a little bit more accepting of a certain type of plagiarism. Now, I do think we live in a totally different creative environment and, you know, people should get their dues, right? So if you're, if you're taking that much from someone, you shouldn't just be able to plagiarize them and just like <laughs> be massively successful on the back of that. But I do yeah, think if should... you want another Shakespeare, I can just take Shakespeare's plays and mostly reproduce them and put my name on them. Yeah. And now I'm Shakespeare too. <laughs> true, true. But do, do you see my point? Like yeah. broad, broadly no, speaking, I so I think like, we, I agree. we should be a little bit more liberal in our kind of like creative yeah. environment. And, you know, again. And with music, honestly, as well, I think. Yeah, 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 totally. So that, I, I was, I was going to like make the argument about Shakespeare, but apply it to, to and I'm still going to, I think I'll make that video still at some point. And apply it to music as well. Because again, like, um, you know, Bach, Beethoven, there are bits that are certainly plagiarized or, you know, lifted melodies from elsewhere that they'd use. And I think people generally, I think we're a little bit less accepting of that. And the, the legal environment around it, I think, certainly think is much mm-hmm. stricter and it is not a good creative environment. So that's that's yeah. the broad point there. It's also it's also just very briefly um, kind of coming up in the news a lot recently, like because of ChatGPT. Yes. And also we've yeah, had yeah. like, I think a, a few heads of elite colleges. So like the uh, dean oh, of yeah, I think I Harvard that. just resigned President over plagiarism charges. President of Harvard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, well, a, it's a timely. She, she, didn't, <laughs> she didn't resign over plagiarism precisely, but that's one of the pressure points. One of the it was like a right wing cancellation campaign but the funny thing is the guy who was leading the campaign his wife like straight up actually so i don't think the president of harvard i don't think she did her thesis perfectly but i don't think it's that big of a deal compared to everyone but the guy leading the campaign his wife legitimately stole a bunch of stuff including from her like undergrad mentees Mm -hmm. (laughs) so now there's a big backlash there because he's telling everyone like don't you know leave my wife alone yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) No, I was going to say, so again, like, there, yeah. there's certainly a point at which yeah. it is unacceptably kind of yeah. plagiarized. So, for example, like Led Zeppelin plagiarized on a ridiculous <laughs> scale. They just lifted wholesale songs from people and just never gave them credit and maybe got sued like 20 years down the line and just kind of paid them off a little bit. Um, so Dazed and Confused by Led Zeppelin, if you know that song, mm-hmm. was originally Dazed and Confused by Jake Holmes. And yeah, literally all they really did was... Uh, kind of change it to a rock arrangement and add a little riff, but materially it's still the same song. Yeah. The guy didn't get any credit for it. I Aww. think that's unacceptable. But I do think we can liberalize our attitudes to plagiarism generally. Anyway, so off the back of that, I was thinking, so I had it in the back of my head. I was like, I know I remember studying Shakespeare and being told that he took like literally just just bits from uh, Michel de Montaigne's essays, maybe just one essay. I think it was on cannibals or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, <laughs> I, could, I couldn't remember what it was. I remember like he took 
like the Roman plays he took significant bits from someone else. So I was just looking up Shakespeare plagiarism and I've like yeah, yeah. tried to look this up in the past before and maybe, you know, for, for other things that I was thinking of. Yeah. Because and maybe I just are, didn't hit. There are uh, other plays. I sorry. I just got so distracted because like usually when I slightly interrupt someone, they go on a little bit, but I forgot that you're British. So you're very polite <laughs> and you just like eh, ended right in the middle of a word. <laughs> I just wanted to jump in. The only reason I interrupted was because there's, there have to be just some plays where he didn't lift most of it. Right. Like, well, so we can still yeah. regard him as very good because he's able to write his own stuff most of the time, I assume. Right. But yes. like you said, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. 100 100%. So but some uh, of the plays are more heavily So those out of those three plays okay. those are the three that every, I mean everyone's known this I think since like the late 19th century people uh, no maybe earlier uh, the late 18th century sorry that people have like looked at these translations by Thomas North and been like well I mean they're strikingly second. like similar <laughs> like they they're pretty much yeah. exactly the same okay. he reworked it from prose into you know iambic pentameter but beyond that yeah. he's not yeah. done all that much with a lot okay. of the passages but <laughs> Never bothered anyone. Um, and, you know, in, when I learned about it at uni, I remember thinking, huh. <laughs> but then I thought, oh, well, we've, yeah, we've known cares? about this for ages. It doesn't bother <laughs> It doesn't bother anyone else. Why should it bother me? So I just kind of put it to the back of my mind. Anyway, so this time, whatever, however I Googled it this time, Shakespeare, plagiarism or whatever, it, it, the, the keywords Google decided to furnish me with the these results that I basically just went down this rabbit hole of just reading everything. This independent American researcher, he's he's <laughs> called Dennis McCarthy. He basically did something relatively similar to what I did, um, like pursuing the Thomas North link or like thinking about like plagiarism. Yeah, I'll tell you how he came about it from what I've read. But then he he's basically arguing that. Every single Shakespeare work, except Two Noble Kinsmen and The Merry Wives of Windsor. Everyone's favorites. Have like substantial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who likes them? We <laughs> um, all read Two Noble Kinsmen in school. <laughs> <laughs> has like So his argument is that every single Shakespeare play has substantial borrowings, like linguistically and just like ideas and has links to his biographical, uh, Thomas North's biographical, like actual life. So he argues that every Shakespeare play has has really strong links repeatedly and extensively with, with Thomas North's works and life. And I find myself like remarkably convinced to the point of just not being very happy with myself because what his Aww. voice got a little quieter he was like i might be a little bit convinced like he doesn't want the stratfordians to come you're like oh i'm about to become a social yeah, pariah but- <laughs> they've got their bag of crumpets they're wielding it up <laughs> yeah no i think they might be listening um his argument so yeah there's, there's tons of threads to this so basically he the way he came to it he um he's published uh like scientific articles before on uh, the like the geography of of evolution and i think it was in like the pacific or something like that so mm-hmm. he's he's kind of came to it from a very different angle he was thinking about it think about the evolution of animals obviously he's published b- before about uh, evolution and he yeah. thought well how how do we apply ideas of like the evolution to like text so yeah how <laughs> well we know that hamlet is ultimately based on like a scandinavian myth so the question mm-hmm. is how did that myth transmit all the way via, through Europe, via Europe, into Elizabethan England, and how did the language of that play develop? So we've always known that Shakespeare has worked from sources on every single one of his plays. Right. A play called Hamlet, or called something very similar to Hamlet, we know an anonymous play that is essentially the Hamlet play existed before Shakespeare, mm-hmm. um, and you know that that was Shakespeare's source, whatever. So he was just like, well, how could I look at like tracing the evolution of this play? So he just started reading around it. Um, and came across references to Hamlet in, I can't remember which 
text it was exactly, but it was by one of the kind of contemporary satirists uh, of the Elizabethan age who talks about Hamlet very briefly. And he essentially just looked at these phrases and these references continually to um, a playwright called North. So the name North was continually brought up. Uh, And he'd take bits of like the language uh, that these satirists were using and like plug them into Ebo, which is E-E-B-O, like early English books online, which is like the biggest repository of text and certain certain you can like search phrases and see like commonalities Mm -hmm. of words and thomas north's works keep popping up bing 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 almost (gasps) as if the satirists are kind of echoing his language Uh, so that's kind of where he started and he thought well who is this thomas north fellow and then he obviously clearly from there realized antony cleopatra julius caesar and coriolanus are Mm -hmm. overwhelmingly based on his translations of plutarch's Mm -hmm. lives and then he basically did a kind of Using plagiarism software in the first place um, between Thomas North's translations and Shakespeare's works. And again, like ping, 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 all these things start showing up. Okay. Um, (laughs) And from there, he's basically spent the last uh, 15 years of his life, as far as I can see, researching like the North family, uh, Thomas North's life, trying to like track down books that were once in their library, uh, anything and everything to do with him. And he's done like insane amounts of, of research. And he has put together a very, very, very frighteningly compelling argument Uh that at the very least thomas north was i mean i would say at the very least shakespeare used thomas north as a source for everything he wrote that that would be (laughs) unless this guy at the very least everything (laughs) as far as i can see as far as i can see unless this unless dennis mccarthy at the most (laughs) um well, I was going to say, unless Dennis McCarthy has literally falsified evidence, including like marginalia in Thomas North's personal like books, mm-hmm, unless yeah. he's gone to that degree of falsifying evidence, which I guess is technically possible, <laughs> but I sincerely doubt he has done, um, then that would be like the minimum, I would say. Wow. Not only that, Shakespeare, the evidence he's collated seems to be strongly suggestive, and I'm actually being a little bit more tentative than I, I think I should be, that <laughs> Shakespeare had access to Thomas North's unpublished personal writings, including like a manuscript of his journal uh, about his visit to Italy in the, uh, I think it was the 1550s, and uh, his uh, like copies of his own books and uh, other books in his library with his Thomas North's marginalia, which Mm -hmm. Uh in some instances are outlining key bits of language which appear in like, for example, Macbeth, or outlining of plots that show up in Kimberlin. This is just reams and reams of these things where I'm sitting there going like, nah, nah, come on, no, no, that can't be right. And then you read a little bit more and you go, that. I can't, I can't quite explain that. What's, yeah. what's going on I mean, on here? it's like, like you said, I mean, he used a database and pulled up all of the matching language. So how could you fake that? So things about matching language. So he has like a, he has a website, um, which is a really good repository of his arguments and evidence, but mm-hmm. is, I mean, I'll, I'll say it now really straightforward, not very well like put together. It's a kind of website that you need a bit of patience to navigate because it's not all just set out clearly. So yeah. I think that's a problem. Well, I'm experto a- at navigating, so oh, I bet God. I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, all the arguments are there, all the evidence is kind of collated. And some of these parallel langu- bits of language you look at and you think they're not that similar. And then you mm, read okay. the two parallel passages and you realize, like, the key, the key words are basically the same. And the actual idea presented is very, very similar and usually in a very, very similar context. Mm-hmm. So okay. you might only get like a word or two like Phoenix, Arabia, tree across like a, like a little paragraph or a sentence or two. 
And then th those same phrases appear in, in Shakespeare. Yeah. And you think, well, <laughs> what, those three words appear within like the general vicinity of each other. That doesn't necessarily say much. And then you realize that basically it's, it's the same thought process. So again, yeah. it doesn't mean Thomas North wrote these plays, um, but it means at the very least Shakespeare was turning to Thomas North for so yeah. many ideas. And I find it very, very hard. And it, trust me, I've tried. I've tried <laughs> to just not believe this. Um, <laughs> I've tried very hard not to believe this. And every time I've had like a doubt or like, hmm, doesn't quite make sense. Maybe I'll explore it a bit more. I kind of read around it. I, f I find basically whatever I find corroborates <laughs> his point of view. So, so like let, let's just think. Like I'll, I'll give you a few like specific examples. So, okay. uh, there's a play called Arden of Favisham, which for a while has been considered part of the kind of wider Shakespearean apocrypha. Mm -hmm. um, with some people arguing it is a Shakespearean play, other people saying no, it's not a Shakespearean play. But let me just hold on for the for people who don't understand as much because I I don't understand. As much. <laughs> People think it might be a, a Shakespearean play, but they're not sure because why? Like, where is this? What is yeah, the so it, it wasn't of this play? like they discovered it, and they're not. sure. It, it wasn't credited to him in like the uh, in any of the pub, like the contemporaneous publications. It wasn't published under Shakespeare's name okay. at the time, essentially. But it has um, enough similarities that people were like, "Oh, this could have been one of his." But yes, like, just yeah, nobody yeah. put their name on it, or um, no, I can't. I can't remember specifically for that one. Maybe. I think maybe it was anonymously published. Um, okay. It wasn't found in manuscript. It was published, I think, maybe after Shakespeare died. I can't remember exactly. Okay. So there are things that we, that are out there that we're not sure who wrote them at all, but they've been attributed. Yes. To oh, yeah. Maybe. So, but just okay. Yeah. Just I mean, there there are tons of anonymous uh, plays from the time, and in mm -hmm. fact, something like ninety percent, a huge percentage of the plays, kind of in the from like the middle of the 16th century to the beginning of the 17th century, the vast majority of the plays that we know existed because they were, they were mentioned someplace just no longer exist because they were only ever in manuscript manuscript form and then they were produced. Okay. Um, okay. Anyway, so Alice of, Ar uh, sorry, Arden of Faversham is this play. And stylistically, <laughs> stylistic, so this is like, have you heard of like stylometric analysis, which is an analysis of writing um, and you basically look at it and there are different versions of it. Sometimes you're looking at like common words or rare words that are used. And basically we all have different literary voices. Everybody writes differently in the same way that everyone speaks differently. I don't know. I write kind of just like Shakespeare. <laughs> um, so stylometric analysis, for example, have been used to identify who wrote, what is it, the Federalist Papers. Um, yeah. So they were not uh, pu published anonymously and it's been used to kind of ascertain who wrote what. Different types of stylometric analyses are basically were used to identify the Unabomber because of very unique phrases that he used in his writing that his, I think his brother or his brother-in-law said, wait a minute, no one else speaks like that other than sounds him. Sounds like Ted. And it, that, <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like Ted. Um, so the stylometric analyses that people have done, people argue that Alice, of, I keep saying Alice of Faversham, <laughs> but there's a reason because one of the characters is Alice Arden. Okay. Arden of Faversham is uh, Shakespeare. So it's being published now by, was it Oxford University Press? Uh, I can't remember mm. one of them, um, as a Shakespeare play. And I think it's relatively, it's pretty mainstream opinion that it's a Shakespeare play. Either way, the language at points of Arden of Faversham is echoed in Macbeth. There are kind of like thematic similarities. Okay. Um, so it seems like pretty solid that it's part of the broader Shakespeare canon. Mm -hmm. Dennis McCarthy's argument is actually Alice of Arden of Faversham <laughs> was a, a every single time, sorry. <laughs> Arden of Faversham <laughs> is a Thomas North play. Uh, and his argument is based on the fact that there are there's marginalia, maybe just personal notes elsewhere, that have him 
either outlining bits in his translation where the language is then echoed in the play, um, or it's just his marginalia point, like kind of like collating like plot points that are then yeah. used mm-hmm. in the play. Also, and this is the bit where I just kind of went, what the fuck? <laughs> Alice Arden, like the, the, I guess the antagonist of the play was Thomas North's half-sister. And you're just what? like, huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, that's a pretty Wait, close but, link. And he made her the bad guy? Yeah, who's more likely to have beef with her, Thomas or Shakespeare? <laughs> uh, it's a complicated story. So she, she's basically the most famous murderess of uh, the 16th century in England. She, she murdered her husband. Yeah, I'd have beef with yeah, her. Yeah. Um, oh, but not the most prolific. She just murdered the one guy. Yeah, she murdered the, the, oh, her the husband. The bar was pretty low for fame. <laughs> Did you hear this lady killed a guy? OMG. OMG. Yeah, well, have you heard of the Unabomber? <laughs> it was famous for a bunch of reasons. And there's like this whole involved story um, because um, Thomas North's father, who married um, Alice Arden's mother, was basically um, Henry VIII's top guy when it came to the dissolution of the monasteries. Um, and he oh. kind of basically enriched himself off the back of that. So this guy's surrounded by murder. Yeah, there's a whole story there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a whole story behind all of that plot point. And actually, I say antagonist, but the play is quite, in many ways, quite um, sympathetic to Alice Arden, um, oh. in spite of the fact that she she is ultimately the antagonist and she did murder a dude. But yeah, so there are some key kind of linguistic parallels that link Thomas North directly to the play and, and there's just the fact that it's his half-sister that's just one of those moments where that in and of itself is certainly not a smoking yeah. gun but it is one of those moments when you go i'm sorry what mm. <laughs> like that that it's, it's a my immediate response is that cannot be right yeah yeah um like he must be mistaken but no it, it checks out yeah thomas north so, half siblings okay we're obviously there's more to this but my i don't know my main question right now i guess is who is thomas north why if if he was, you know, who Shakespeare kind of lifted a lot of this stuff from or like heavily. Or if he wrote it. Or if he wrote it, why is he not known? Like, did he mm-hmm. not, like, was he just not a good publicist for himself and Shakespeare was? Like, was he and not? And another question, Jacob, that I'd like you to address is what's the deal with the man Shakespeare? Like, mm-hmm. what's his deal? What did he do? Wow. Yeah. So first, <laughs> let's let's address the Thomas North yeah, thing. Yeah. Like, let's say Thomas North wrote everything. Why was William involved? <laughs> why Why wasn't he staging his plays? Yeah. <laughs> so Th- Thomas North was a translator. That's kind of what he's known as. Um, he has been talked about many times as kind of like one of the originators of kind of like brilliant English prose, like one of the first people to write very influential, brilliant English prose. Uh, in the English language, I've I've read something he translated. Uh, most of those, most of most of like his prose is via translations. But just so you know, he took massive liberties with his translations. You know, back then you just do whatever you want. So he just took massive liberties with the language. Okay. So they were like creative, basically, not necessarily scientific. Yeah, but... yeah. Uh, and he would basically he would just chuck in like maybe his own little bit of poetry or just his own like little. <laughs> you know, aside and things like that. So, (laughs) you know, I could really, I could dress this up. I could spice this up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So maybe as a strict translator, not that great, but as a kind of like a creative translator. Yeah. Very, very highly thought of. Um, So he's referenced as a, as a playwright, uh, specifically more often as like a, uh, as a writer of tragedies by satirists of his time. And he did, he, he basically did put on plays actually. He, he, but it was, as I said before, it's very, it was very, very normal for plays not to get published when he mm. was writing. So he was a few decades older than Shakespeare. And even by Shakespeare's plays, most contemporaneous plays that were put on that we know have been referenced um, 
just have just no longer exist because they're only ever in okay. manuscript form. So he did okay. actually put in place. So they like, existed at the same time, but he was a few decades older. So he a few, yeah. I think he was maybe two two decades older or something like that. Um, he probably would have died before Shakespeare. So he died. The last reference to him, and it, he's suspected to die around this time, is I think sixteen oh three or sixteen oh four. So hmm. Shakespeare died another twelve or thirteen years after that. But he he so again like the amount of research this guy has done, uh, this Dennis McCarthy <laughs> is insane. There are I, I think it's maybe maybe it, c- it comes back down to the North Family Library. I can't remember where he found these references, but there are payments to Thomas North basically for plays, like for putting on plays. So okay. The guy's been paid for plays. He's referenced as a playwright by uh, some of his peers. Dennis McCarthy's argument is that he put on these plays and then a few decades later when he basically was impoverished and kind of disenfranchised from his um, inheritance, um, he basically just sold his plays onto Shakespeare, who is kind of... In, in on this view, a kind of, I don't know, maybe a Spielberg or a Disney of his era. Like, you know, he collected his plays oh. and kind of, maybe he did rework them because at the end of the day, no one would know. So, so he like bought the rights to them maybe and then reworked basically, them? Basically, yeah, yeah, okay. basically. So Dennis McCarthy is very straightforward. He says, he thinks Thomas North is the genius behind the plays, whether every single word is in there is his or whether Shakespeare reworked it to some el- some degree. He thinks Thomas North is the main kind of mind behind oh. the plays. As far as I'm concerned, like you can't you can't prove that unless you have like yeah. one of his manuscripts or something like that. Mm-hmm. My position is simply that this evidence base that he's collated <laughs> is abs- it's mind boggling. Um, it's at the very least completely consistent with everything we know. And at no point does he engage in the usual like conspiracy nonsense. I, yeah. Not yeah. a single thing. has. Been, it's not like, oh, how, how did how did Shakespeare write this? You know, he was. <laughs> He wasn't posh. Yeah, you know right, I mean? No, right. no arguments. Like, there's no what aboutism. He was not posh spice. <laughs> well, he is American. Yeah. He said so. <laughs> Maybe that explains that. <laughs> yeah, he's not subject to the same biases we are. <laughs> and when we asked Jacob to talk about this with us, he said, "Wouldn't you rather talk to Dennis McCarthy himself? Like he's really nice, and you've been chatting with him." And I was like, "Yeah, sure. I'm sure we'd love to talk to him. But like, let's chat with you. We know you. That'll be fun." But you said mm-hmm. you either are going to talk with him soon, or you have already talked with him. I did. I t- I talked. I emailed him, and I. I was just like, I was like, I was like, mate, what is this? This is, whew, <laughs> this is, this is a lot. <laughs> uh, and I, I talked, I talked to him. I w- we would love to have him on. Maybe we can do a conversation with him as like a bonus episode yeah, yeah, yeah. in the future. I needed Jacob but... to be the introduction though. I was yeah. like, let me just. Yeah. Uh... I did it partly just to like challenge him on some point. So my initial email, I was like, well, what about this? You know, when you're presenting like two parallel bits of language. Yeah. For example, some of them look quite weak and uh, coming to it as as someone you know with fresh eyes, I look at it and think: if you don't just stick to your strongest argument, it can look like you're just throwing shit at the wall, and yeah. that mm-hmm. to me is like it's like an intellectual red, red flag. Um, and I had a few other challenges, and like to be fair, I actually I take that back on that point because again, sometimes the linguistic parallels are minimal, but they're they're kind of mm-hmm. like unique words, and then the idea itself being present uh, used in both texts is basically the same. Uh, and again, it comes just down to like the rarity of these combinations of words, etc. Right. And right. a few of the things I challenged him on, I was like, look, your website's not great. I needed to be patient <laughs> when I was nav- navigating it. Like that, what what's going on there? And like, too fair. Yeah. And again, like partly these kind of criticisms, some of them are a bit trivial, but sometimes it's just like, it's good to just see how someone reacts to any kind of criticism because, right. Right. um, I mean, my brother is a conspiracy theorist. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and Conspiracy theorists do not react well to any kind of criticism. I mean, yeah. 
their, their brains don't work properly. And I'm going to be really blunt on that point. They just don't. They're, they're, they're wacky yeah. people. The argument falls apart as soon as emotion becomes the main response point to any criticism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So in everything I've read, everything I've read by Dennis McCarthy and the arguments he's made, and he's, you know, he's published some uh, articles um, in scholarly uh, journals and he's got his book. Um, there, I, there's nothing that I, maybe, maybe it's just me, but there's nothing that I can detect as an intellectual red flag, which again is, is that kind of conspiratorial thinking, these kind of whataboutisms. Right. Robot Jacob here. Can you tell me apart from human Jacob? I'm not sure how to pass a Turing test either, so this may be difficult. Anyway, I'm jumping in because Jackie wants me to explain the term human Jacob just used, whataboutism. Whataboutism is a type of logical fallacy in which a person responds to a criticism by making an unrelated accusation or criticism of something else. An intellectual red flag, indeed. Uh, the evidence he's presenting, sometimes I go, uh, is it? And then you look into it deeper and you go, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that, that yeah. sounds that's, that's pretty good. There's no spurious thinking as far as I can see. So my position on this ultimately really is that what Dennis believes at the end of the day ultimately you know that's not the important thing what i believe at the end of the day isn't the important thing as many people as possible need to like examine this evidence yeah, base yeah. and the arguments made as possible and kind of make up their own mind because i think most people who, who can actually assess evidence will kind of be a little bit mind blown at it because it just right i, I don't want to again so a big part of conspiratorial thinking i think is oh what a coincidence oh what a coincidence yeah, yeah. but when we're talking about <laughs> It would be insane at this point to argue that all these biographical <laughs> and linguistic parallels are purely coincidence when we're talking about relationship as close as half-sister. And again, it, to me, the, the primary thing comes back to those linguistic parallels that are just, mm -hmm. they're repeated, they are extensive, um, and they are like almost completely, sometimes completely unique in the kind of the entire catalogue of early English yeah. books. Um, wow. And sometimes just incredibly rare. So yeah, it just stacks up and stacks up. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying this fun episode, we have a lot of other fun episodes as well that you can hear if you go to patreon.com slash fire the cannon and sign up for a tier of at least $3 or more per month. We also have other fun benefits as well, and you get a shout out from us every time you go and do that. Um, we have our fake spear episode that we did the first one where we examined some of the other theories about uh, who might have written Shakespeare's works if it's not Shakespeare. And we've also got a lot of other fun topics too. Go and do that. And if you don't mind, hopping over to Apple Podcasts podcast or Spotify and giving us five star rating or a thumbs up and maybe even a review. That would be awesome. We'd love it. Or honestly, you can just tell some family and friends if you know anyone who might like this podcast, let them know. If you're friends with any English professors, please have them email us and tell yeah. us why this is wrong. If it is. <laughs> we need to know. We want to know. We're intellectually curious. Yeah. We're curious minds. Um, yes, definitely. Yeah. And if this is your first time listening to us, welcome and uh, follow our show. We're glad to yeah. have you. All right. Thank you so much. All episode. right. Back to the episode. Well, and why should it be such a crazy thing to suggest that Shakespeare used other stuff? I mean, even more like to a higher degree than we would be comfortable with in yeah. today's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why would that be a crazy idea? I'm not sure if I, f what, what was your question? Can you send it back to me? Because I'm not sure if I fully No, I think it. it was just, I think you answered it. It was just like, well, who was this guy and why don't we know him at all? If he's the mm -hmm. one who actually wrote all this stuff, like, was he just not good at getting his work out there? It sounds mm -hmm. like he did to some degree get his work out there, but then he was yeah. disenfranchised at the end of his life. So we had to sell it to Shakespeare. 
who just made it more well-known. Yeah. So, I mean, at this point, it kind of becomes conjecture. But, you know, if you're well-known as a translator and you've made a bit of money off that and you've written some plays maybe a few years in the past, the argument is that he started selling, selling these plays to Shakespeare. But he's not an investor in the Globe Theatre like Shakespeare is. He doesn't have a way yeah, yeah. to get his works actually staged. And I guess that that initial relationship is going to be, well, why wouldn't I sell my plays to this up-and-coming playwright? You know, there's, yeah. there's no... There's, yeah. They're not doing anything for me right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So maybe they had an ongoing relationship where Shakespeare would buy them. Maybe Shakespeare did like massive revisions because, again, the, these original manuscripts, if they ever existed, certainly don't exist now. We can't mm-hmm. ascertain like without yeah. without any doubt that that's what happened. So he I mean, so again, when I talked to him, he said, you know, there's a huge latitude of opinions you could have about like Shakespeare's involvement and Thomas North's kind yeah. of originator of these plays. There's this huge amount. And he's like, well, frankly, I think. Thomas North is the genius behind them. Whether every single word mm-hmm. it says is, is kind of irrelevant at that point. Yeah. It, ha- it gets to the point where so many of these things need explaining away if you were to retain this idea that Thomas North wasn't right. extensively involved. Do you know what I mean? It's just like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a name we do not know. Like, that is not a household name mm-hmm. at all. He's not an unknown, though. Like like I said, I did read some of his stuff in like as an English major. But yeah, yeah it's yeah. not. He's not a guy you would. That's what I'm saying. But it's not a household name. Everybody knows no. Shakespeare. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he's quite important within the kind of specific context of Elizabethan literature. Yeah. And again, you know, it's it's not a secret at all that Shakespeare based three plays mm-hmm. massively on his translations. It's just one of those things that you read and go, oh. <laughs> Everyone knows that, so... Eh. Well, and I think a lot of people, too, like, if you're, again, not a scholar, as the vast majority of people aren't, like, nobody cares about, like, Coriolinus and Antony and Cleopatra. They're like, well, I care about Romeo and Juliet and, like, Hamlet and Othello, you know, yeah. at the most, I think, right? I think uh, I think Julius Caesar certainly is, maybe maybe not in the S tier, but it's probably, like, the A tier, I think, yeah. of, of kind of, like... Of, of what people think and I, I really like Antony and Cleopatra it sprawls and it's a little bit silly mm-hmm. but I mean I don't know that's that's just my taste um, yeah yeah but the average basic person doesn't know any of those stories I don't think so I mean maybe they'd know the odd quote especially from Julius Caesar because there's, yeah. there's some famous little bits every other kind of like contender and I say contender because every other contender for the real authorship of Shakespeare is absolute nonsense it's just invariably just stupid the people making the arguments for them are just off their rocker and you see the spurious arguments what aboutism just they'll read like a, li- a line of a sonnet and be like well that could be interpreted as meaning a reference to the earl of oxford so actually the earl of oxford wrote it and you're like come on guys that's not evidence that's just they're really right. stretching yeah, yeah that's just interpretation of a line if you rearrange the letters in this one line it yeah. does spell out mark Wahlberg. So I'm pretty sure Mark Wahlberg may have actually written. Honestly, that. most of it is that level, really, and, most of it, and the rest thinking, of it is worse. Essentially, exactly, yeah, yeah, very strong motivated reasoning. Um, so people have like, there's been like repeated stylometric analyses comparing Shakespeare's mm-hmm. works to these other contenders, and every time it's just like no, 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 no. Weirdly, Thomas North has never been a contender for that, mm-hmm. and this is one of those things where I'm like, wait. Why, why not? Why not? Yeah. Because <laughs> this is where I start to feel like a fool. Because again, I studied this at university. And I remember having the thought: if Shakespeare took bits from Montaigne and Thomas North, like he probably did this quite a lot. And then I went, oh, oh well, off oh, to well. the Pope. It just <laughs> well, yeah, it, yeah. I never went beyond that. Um, oh, but by the way, the, the Montaigne link. So people are like, oh, maybe he read Montaigne or read one of the contemporaneous yeah. like translations of Montaigne. The language that Shakespeare takes from Montaigne. 
Mm. It's the exact same language that Thomas North uses to translate Montaigne in one of his works. So it's like if 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 Shakespeare was working was quoting Montaigne, which he certainly was, everybody accepts that. Then he was quoting Thomas North's <laughs> Montaigne specifically. Do you know what I mean? So again, yeah. it's yeah, just yeah. it's just link, 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 link. Some of them are relatively minor. Anyway, Thomas North has never been used as, as like a comparator there because he was just never seen as content. He was just seen as a as a translator. And okay. what I find strange is that um like the default kind of analysis of those three Roman plays in these stylometric analyses is working from the assumption that they're written by a single author. And people say, like, oh. Um, like stylometric analyses like show a consistency of style through those plays so people say they were written by one author and it's just like well if if julius caesar was written by <laughs> yeah, one <and>. author <laughs> if well if julius caesar was written by one author then that one author could only be thomas yeah. north so hmm. i don't know I'm that's not, not the flex they think it is yeah, yeah. Yeah. Stylometric analysis is obviously it's robust, but it's not the be all end all. So I'm not I'm not making an argument right. there for do you know what I mean? But it's it just it's just weird that, you know, these are Shakespearean academics and I, you know, pirated some of these books that I I read about um like stylometric <laughs> analyses. Um and at no point in there is like Thomas North reference as the kind of the primary source, not only of the story, but of the language of those three plays. And how would yeah. I just I just it just it just seems like a weird like dereliction of duty that you would yeah. do the sty- the stylometric analyses and not go, wait, a good like 70 percent of the language is verbatim Thomas North's. Why, why yeah. are we not plugging this yeah. dude into it? I just it I does, find it remarkable. It does seem like the first step if you're going to see like if you're going to compare stuff is be like well let's start with the guys that we know yeah, yeah, yeah. are that he lifted from yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, why yeah. not just do that as a test and what i'm trying to figure out is so is dennis mccarthy basically the only person with this theory because yeah. like he has very compelling evidence i believe that based on what you've told me and i think mm-hmm. the likelihood that the average person seeing his work is going to do a deep dive like you did and Mm. contact him and like, you know, talk with him about like, well, these are like the points of maybe contention that I have with your arguments. Like so few people are going to do that. I think you deserve commending for going and doing that deep dive and like that much research and independent thinking because a lot of people are obviously never going to do that. And I think a serious scholar like he seems to be like should appreciate someone doing that for him to like help him see where maybe his argument need some tightening up or how he can you know make them more compelling if he wants to but why is nobody else doing this right so so when i say nobody else he's the originator uh, i thought you were asking a slightly different question he's the originator <laughs> of it this is complete like his idea that it's okay. completely novel but he has like a, a journalist who kind of he got I, I can't remember how that relationship started but the journalist seems broadly convinced as well yeah. um that okay. thomas north is at so least it's not it's not him and you against the world, is, is what you're saying. Come on, we got this. When I Googled Thomas North Shakespeare and most of what comes up is Dennis McCarthy. I mean, almost yeah, everything yeah. is Dennis McCarthy. So it's not a lot of other... There's a now retired uh, professor of English literature. I can't remember some uni- American university called June Schluter. Schluter. So he, he's published a few books that are basically Thomas North's unpublished manuscripts. He's, he's published them now with like foreword and kind of analysis with mm. June Schluter. So it's basically those three. Uh, yeah. And Michael Blanding is the journalist. I'm reading his book his at the moment. Um, and he he's written a book. The book is is quite good. It goes into a lot of actual quite still quite compelling arguments that mm. um, Dennis does not mention in his book, which is really like look based on a much closer kind of look at the, uh, look at the text. Um, so so far, it really is those three people. So back to your question, like 
why 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 is no one paying any attention to this? Well, yeah, like why would you? <laughs> because um, anti Stratfordians are completely insane. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 like, I will tell you now, like, disenfranchised. I, no, I've, I've basically just made an argument, like, an anti-Stratfordian argument based on this guy's research. But I will tell you that anti-Stratfordians are completely insane people. They just, they have, they're the 9/11 truthers of like the literary world, right? Um, yeah. So, Dennis McCarthy has done an insane amount of research, but all he's basically done is build like this mass of, it's like an iceberg. And the tip of the iceberg is just Shakespeare didn't write his plays. So anyone coming across the iceberg doesn't go, well, I'm sure he has lots of like evidence of research. They just say, they just see Uh, anti-Stratfordian. Like, why would you get anywhere near it? So he's got some attention from like one or two academics who actually, I've seen their responses to his work. They had, I don't think they even read any of it. They just Uh, said, you can compare any two texts and find similarities. And he's like, like you guys have respected Shakespearean. Like, like, did you even read the article? Yeah, yeah it's it's basically of yeah. that level. And I, you know, he's he's put. I think some of his stuff has been posted on Reddit before with people asking questions. Uh, and mm. I mean, I went I went on a deep dive on this this motherfucker, right? So I've watched like the odd YouTube <laughs> video where he has been interviewed by people, and all the replies are either people just not responding to a single thing he said, including yeah. like Reddit mm-hmm. threads. Or lunatic anti Stratfordians going, ah, so according to Dennis, there's See? a really good case. One of us, one of us. Yeah. <laughs> a, no, but they'll they'll literally reply to a video and be like, well, sounds like uh, there's a really strong case for uh, the argument that Francis Bacon wrote these plays. Oh, gosh. Like, did, you, did you listen to a single word he just said? Yeah. So, so if anything, his, his text would be an even stronger argument against any of the other anti Stratfordian theories. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. So I, I, I've, Anti-Stratfordianism, broadly speaking, is not been something I've looked into much before beyond like, yeah. you know, being acquainted with it and occasionally seeing it go like, you guys just are asking like, what aboutism kind of questions and just trying to interpret like a line of poem to support your views. Right, right, right. But right. I did it a little bit more because I thought, well, at the end of the day, what if this guy doesn't actually look that different to the average Stratfordian? Because I've never done like a deep dive on them. So what, what sure. if actually they're making similar arguments? And I mean, again, I, I was writing my bias against them because they just don't. I, I came across Spurious. one that was kind of closer. Like it adopted some of the kind of similar, like looking at Ebo as a, as a database of um, texts and comparing language. And his this guy's argument was it was Francis Bacon. But the, the, the parallel bits of language are much, much more trivial and much more spurious the arguments behind it. it, it you know, it's one of those things where you just like materially I'm getting it just it just does not fit together in any way like yeah. the Thomas North Shakespeare kind of theory does. And at the end of the day it comes down to the fact that you will look like just another conspiracy theorist to 99% of people. And if you're if you're an academic you don't partly you don't have the time to waste on this nonsense <laughs> but also you, do, you don't have the yeah. reputation you don't have the you don't want to take that reputational risk of being seen to take yeah. this stuff seriously and I think there's a lot of behind that which is just cognitive biases leading people down the wrong track and I also think some of it is completely fair because I mean I said I said yeah. to you guys like look dealing engaging with this on any kind <laughs> you of you even warned us like are you prepared to maybe look like kooks and I was like yeah whatever nobody <laughs> cares if we look like kooks it's fine <laughs> but um yeah so so I, I think it's totally fair to an extent the academics wouldn't want to engage with this but i also think that they should have some intellectual curiosity they should yes, be that's, that's, that's what it comes down yeah. to yeah it's shameful i would say that it's shameful for there not to have been more people like looking like seriously looking at it <laughs> ultimately my opinion is that he's either right or he's wrong and maybe my like faculty of critical thinking isn't as good yeah, as i think it is it. and maybe i'm wrong but someone else just someone else needs to look at this and troll through it because again 
whether they fully agree with Dennis McCarthy's conclusion at the end of the day or mine or anyone else's, it's an yeah. important bit. It's that the body of research is just it's 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 enlightening i guess to say mm -hmm. uh, to understate it it's um it yeah. is it's really quite, it's quite remarkable and again I, I would actually say like my emotional reaction like the week after kind of coming across this and just re <laughs> reading about it was it was almost like a state of anxiety because i was like i do not want to be one of those people but i find myself compelled <laughs> to be on some level one yeah. of those people because it's like realizing you're gay or something and then you have to like come out you're like oh i really don't want to have to do this but this is who i am now <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I was going to say, um, I get like, so what I'm presenting to you really is just a like, tip of the iceberg of what I've come across. Like there, there yeah. again, some, some points feel rather trivial, but they just build up again and again. So in Winter's Tale, for example, there's a reference to an artist, an Italian artist, vaguely contemporaneous with Shakespeare, I think slightly earlier, called I think it's Giulio Romano. So forgive me, mm -hmm. I, I don't get all the names right. I literally read what this, about this stuff last night. Mm -hmm. And people have asked for age, like how... How did Shakespeare know about this guy? Because there's no writing in English that references him at all. He wasn't yeah. famous. He wasn't like Raphael or Michelangelo, who at the time was well known across Europe. This guy just wasn't that well known outside of like North Italy. Yeah. So how did how did Shakespeare know about him? Um, Thomas North saw this guy's <laughs> Thomas North saw this guy's artwork. It's always Thomas North. <laughs> when he visited North Italy, like he just he saw it in front of him and he was like given yeah. a tour of like a, yeah. a palace that had his art and he was like, oh that's pretty cool that. Um yeah. and he made a note of it in his uh, personal journals about how he thinks he's a great artist. And I think one of the characters in Twelfth Night, Camillo, he met someone on that trip called Camillo and he describes him in the same way that he describes the character in the play. <laughs> and he just sat there like you read it like, no, no, come on, that can't be right. <laughs> I don't believe like you. Like Shakespeare didn't even try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so many of these little things that I just like, what? Yeah. Well, huh? and for people to discount the theory without even actually engaging with the evidence is terrible. So that's I why mean, I'm so surprised. Okay. It's like this is a very controversial subject and people love looking into and tearing down controversial subjects bit by bit yes. because A, it makes them feel smart and look smart. And B, if you're genuinely, you know, on the side of what you believe is right, then you love tearing apart conspiracies yeah. that have weak logic. So, like, why isn't anybody doing that? I totally agree. But again, this is like maybe the the twelfth candidate for like the alternative yeah. authorship theory. Maybe people are trying to do it and they just can't, you know, and then they get defensive. Imagine I kind of went to I don't know like a seminar on political science and I went, guys, nine eleven, huh, that the mainstream story is not true, and they're like, oh, here yeah. we go, here we go, inside job. It was it was planned and orchestrated by the Canadian Mounties. You'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> you would like wait. it would be rejected out of hand. But then well, the what, premise is wrong, so I'm rejecting the whole thing. That's how it feels to most people. So it's not completely unfair. You heard it first here, guys. Mount Mounties did 9/11. <laughs> Every time I hear an idea that you know has been refuted or debunked a million times before, if 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 someone came to me with that idea again, but they had all the evidence in the world, I probably would not listen because I have better things to do. Clearly, I yeah. don't this one time. Yeah, well, yeah, to be fair, you just had a baby. You probably got a lot of late nights with nothing to do. There's a lot of late nights, like, rocking a baby and having one free hand to, like, go yeah. on my phone yeah. and nothing else. Yeah, just yeah. going slowly insane. I don't know. Jacob's pretty sleep-deprived. I don't know if we should listen yeah. to him on this. Basically, yeah, there have been centuries, centuries of people saying, oh, it wasn't Shakespeare. It, I would say not even 9-11. It's akin to like flat earthers. Like I was thinking yeah. flat earthers. If yeah. someone goes up to like an actual scientist and is like, hey, uh, you know, the earth's flat. Here's my totally new reason. 
you wouldn't be like, wow, why aren't they engaging mm-hmm. in good faith with yeah. this? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's just different because it's like, I don't know. We've seen the earth from space. We haven't like gone back in time and watched Shakespeare with our eyes write this down by himself. You what know? I'm saying is there there have been hundreds of years of people debunking the claim that it wasn't Shakespeare. And there have been hundreds of years of people saying it wasn't Shakespeare, like obviously mm-hmm. being kooks. Hundreds mm-hmm. of years. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. why. But I agree with Jacob at this point, if it does seem how when was his book published or like you said he's been in like he would he researched for like 15 years and what but when did he start yeah. putting stuff out there i guess i can't remember when his book was published michael blanding's book the, the journalist that was 2018 yeah. he started publishing papers yeah. on it not necessarily yeah. on this thomas north wrote it theory but like around it you know like links between thomas north and that and there's a few other books that have been published that are like you know manuscripts that have never been published until now by thomas north with his kind of like analysis around it that were published so it's kind of been a trickle the book i read which kind of goes into more detail i don't know what year that was published but basically he's been at it for 15 years yeah Yeah. the michael blanding book was published in 2021 oh is it 2021 Um, sorry i thought it was 2021 yeah and then in 2018 was when mccarthy's research was featured on the front page of the New York Times. So 2018 is since like when it's been kind of in the public consciousness. But yeah, it's relatively new book by Blanding, um, who maybe we maybe he needs, you know, this journalist to kind of, you know, publicize it in a different way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was gonna say it's quite it's quite it's quite funny because uh, so the, like the, the Wikipedia page, for example, for like alternative Shakespeare authorship theories, no mention of Thomas North. And yeah. a, like a book that did quite well, actually, last year, um, I think it was by someone called Elizabeth Winkler on like anti-Stratfordian theories. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I pirated the book and I, I looked like, D- does Thomas North get a mention here? No, not a mention whatsoever. (laughs) But when I was talking to Dennis earlier this week, I was like, I was kind of laughing. I felt bad for him, but I was like, you must, you must, come on, you must be a bit annoyed that you've got like the most substantiated, (laughs) well-argued argument in this world. (laughs) And even like none of these people who are writing books about alternative authorship theories for Shakespeare, they don't even mention it. He's like, he kind of laughed a bit, but I was like, I hope I haven't offended him here. But it is a little bit funny. It is a bit yeah. funny. It has to be, yeah. And he's, I mean, when I just, I mean, briefly looked him up while we were talking, says he's like a self-educated, you know, researcher. So he's not... Just like Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, this guy can't have good ideas. Um, but he's not like... To, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he doesn't have like a professorship. He's not a professional scholar. He's a yeah. well, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I guess he's he's maybe he's like self-employed scholar in a way. Like he, yeah, Inde- so, he's an independent researcher basically with all the baggage that comes with. With all the baggage that comes. He with doesn't him. have as much to lose by looking crazy compared yeah. to someone who is you know working at a public university and you know is maybe tenured or something like they can't come out and say this stuff but he's like these are just my mm-hmm. ideas if they were tenured they could do it come on whatever they need to they wouldn't be taken seriously <laughs> so at the end of the day uh, i i think really this is why like the textual parallels that they're not like the entirety of the argument or the evidence base yeah but it is the kind of it needs to be the the main direction of it because at the end of the day as far as i'm concerned mm-hmm. it would be much easier to get so people who do stylometry in that kind of world obviously it has a lot of links with like literature departments and people do it a little mm-hmm. bit in literature departments mm-hmm. literary people academics even are, are not very empirically minded for the most part i don't think but stylometrists and people primarily in that world are like computer scientists and statisticians i think mm-hmm. 
the main way to take this kind of argument forward is to go to those people because they don't have a horse in this race. They don't give a shit. They don't care. Yeah, yeah. They, I, I'm sure most of them haven't read Shakespeare. And I'm not saying that to be a snob, but like, why? Who cares? Like, they're, they're just there. They want to either prove yeah. you wrong or criticize you or whatever. Like, that's that's the game they're playing. Um, yeah. They don't have a, a reputation at risk of you know being seen to endorse like these wacky ideas. Right. So really, you need to. I think things like that can snowball from there rather than trying to convince the literary establishment who, again, to be fair, have a reputation and a career to worry about because you can't be seen endorsing these ideas. Just, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe what they need to do is start from the bottom and say, hey, look at uh, all this evidence I have about who this man was and what his work was and what he wrote. And then at the end be like, and my conclusion is he was Shakespeare. And they're like, damn it, I agreed with you this whole time. Now I have to reject (laughs) the conclusion. It seems like, Jacob, it, it does seem like what you're saying is, practically speaking, he should find someone who's involved in academia, but not specifically English literature. So get your foot in the door there. And then mm-hmm. from there, yeah. it's already academic, then just hop departments. Well, Michael Blanding's book has gotten some attention. Some att- but even then, it's actually like quite minimal. Because at first I saw it, I was like, oh, this is yeah. quite a bit of attention. It like, has oh, been a couple it's... of years now. It should yeah, be explosive, is what you're saying. Uh, yeah. Is Dennis's website SirThomasNorth.com? Yes, yeah, it is, yeah, it is, yeah. Okay, oh because, yeah, it's hard to tell because you go on SirThomasNorth.com. Sorry, Dennis, if you're listening to this. Uh, it's not a bad-looking website, but you do look at it and you're like, what is this website? Because it just yeah. says, you know, this is like the cover of the book, the the original author of Shakespeare's plays now available on Amazon. Um, but there's, you know, not really anything else. I think he needs more on his website to be able to contextualize who this is and what the process was. And yeah, yeah. I think I think ultimately it is the content of the website is good, but it is a poorly put together website that probably does more harm than good because anyone who comes across it, I mean, if you explored it in your own time and looked at it, you would find yours, you'd have that feeling of. I need to be patient with this website. That is not like, that's just, maybe, maybe that's just our kind of like millennial ADHD internet kind of brain. But (laughs) I just, I don't think, I don't think actually anyone likes that. You just want to get to the content and you want to go through it easily. And if you find yourself needing patience, exactly. Well, and it has to look professional or you're going to look more of a kook. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So there are bits where he like uh, shows like text, like linguistic parallels. Um, and there's like there's screenshots of text rather than just the text itself. And again, like right. maybe this is just my obsessive brain, but I want to catarl and f that and like look for things and find these references and be able to Kataral. copy and paste. Catarl, yeah, oh, yeah. Control. I, I, we say no, control. I heard it, I, no, no, I heard it on The Simpsons like 15, 20 years ago, whenever it was, oh, and I've stuck to it. Uh. That, but just to be clear, I just thought to be clear, that was a British thing. That's too. not a okay. British thing. That's just, how do you guys do? You guys remember that episode? Suffer of little children, said the Kataroler. <laughs> I never watched The Simpsons. I wasn't allowed. Jackie. Yeah, we watched The Simpsons growing up. It's the um, it's the one where Homer gets really fat, so we can work from home. And I mean, I haven't that... seen <laughs> the vast majority God. of the episodes. But... I I, re- I recently rewatched them all uh, for like late night feedings with, with my baby. <laughs> oh, for for your baby, not for you. I have yeah. well, feedings I'm... myself as well. But... Gorging myself at three a.m. watching <laughs> <Yeah>. The Simpsons. <laughs> it's a late night feeding, guys. It's not a binge. <laughs> um, and uh, I have to say, up until about season seven, it is. I I still think it's it might be the greatest sitcom of all. it's it's staggeringly good it is so phenomenally brilliant and i know that's Theo a very like normal opinion but i was actually because I, I hadn't watched it for ages like seriously sitting down and watching it from not beginning to end from beginning to season seven ish mm-hmm. 
uh, uh, brilliant, brilliant. And I find myself so many things I just say day to day. I'm just like, I just got that from The Simpsons. God damn it. I thought, I thought that was my own little thing. Yeah. Um, Jacob yeah. thought he was his own bard, but no. He borrowed no. heavily from The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there are tons of things about yeah, But beyond that, the content of the website, it's well argued, it's well substantiated. Um, what I was going to say before, um, I can't remember you talking about this before, but it kind of reminded me. Technically, this is an anti-Stratfordian argument, right? But it's mm-hmm. the, the way it works, this argument, is not, it's kind of what I said before, it's not about doubting the idea that Shakespeare wrote this so much as making a positive case for the involvement of someone else. At no point right, is right, the right. argument made like, how does Shakespeare, again, it just, that's just not the level it's working on. Um, it yeah. really is, here's a positive case to argue uh, the, uh, at the very least, very, very, very heavy involvement of mm-hmm. someone else. In recounting some of these like little facts and tidbits to you, I've probably got little bits wrong here and there. Mm. Um, but really what I've talked about is just like the tip of the <laughs> iceberg. Biographical facts that just keep keep pointing to Thomas North again that link him and like Hamlet and uh, oh, I just and, and the, the linguistic parallels. Right. It's just like, it's, yeah. it's almost exhausting just getting to the bottom of how much research he's done. Right. Well, I feel like also another thing that the other anti-Stratfordian theories have in common is that they kind of have this explosive feeling conclusion where it's like, and it's like, he didn't even exist or like he, you know, faked everything. And it was actually this other guy who was hiding behind him the whole time. And in yeah, this yeah. one, it's like, he didn't try to hide this because he didn't think of this as like, I'm ripping someone else off. He thought of this as, by him, I mean Shakespeare. It seems like if this is the case, then he would have thought of this as like, yeah, this is my intellectual property that I bought and I'm improving upon it and adding to it. He wasn't like, I'm going to trick everybody. And maybe it wouldn't have been as good without you know, the genius of both of them in some way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so j- just for, again, um, it's the problem of it, right? It, it sounds like and looks like on first glance a conspiracy theory, but there's actually no conspiracy, there's no accusation of conspiracy at all. So... Right. No one is conspiring to hide anything. That's what a conspiracy is. Exactly. Yeah. Not only that, but the act of, this is the thing that I just actually laughed at. And again, I was like, wait, what? How the hell did I not notice that? How has no one ever noticed that? But um, yeah. uh, the first publications of Shakespeare's works... The, the, like the byline is improved upon by Shakespeare or augmented by Shakespeare. And uh, again, like my first thought there is like, well, maybe, you know, like, you know what conventions are like literary conventions through time. Like if you read a preface to any work. Like, we're just like, pre- that can't mean what that means. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you, but it's true. You read like a preface to, I don't know, like a, like Don Quixote or something like that. And it's just like, oh, I beseech that you read this most pathetic work. You know, it's, it's, it's useless. <laughs> I'm, I'm stupid. It's, it's like that kind of thing. So it's like, maybe it's just that kind yeah. of like uh, early Renaissance modesty. But, but it's yeah. not. I mean, as, like the, the way people said, like, if you wrote it, you said written by or language very similar. And if it's known to be based on a very, very close, linguistically close or whatever previous work, then you would say improved upon by. And it says improved upon by. And it doesn't change to written by Shakespeare until the end of Shakespeare's life and after Shakespeare's yeah death when it starts to say written yeah. by Shakespeare. I'm just imagining that right. we find a work now and it has a, a preamble that says, I literally didn't write this. I had nothing to do with it, but my name's on it. And we're like, he's being so modest. Yeah, 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 yeah. So again, again it's just, it's that that's such like a trivial point that I've, I mean, I've, I, I don't know how many times I would have looked at like the, the, the kind of the original publications of Shakespeare's work. And, you know, when I was at university and I would have read that title page. And it just, yeah. it just goes in and you just, you don't pay attention to it whatsoever. Like, why would you? Like, what does it mean? But then why doesn't it say like 
written by Thomas North, improved upon by Shakespeare? Like, why does it only have the well, second he, part? If, it's, if he's putting the play on and he's the famous mm. guy and he bought them from a guy people don't know, what would be the benefit, I guess, of saying, oh, this guy wrote it? Just giving him credit? I don't know. Maybe that's too modern that's of an idea. How, that's just not how people thought at the time. Yeah. yeah. That's not how they <laughs> yeah. thought. Yeah. So uh, what I find remarkable is, like, sometimes you'll see reactions from people. Again, I've just I've just seen these on, on like, Reddit and, like, a few other forums online that people where people have come across this. And they'll say yeah. things like, well... But we know that, you know, uh, creative conventions and uh, ideas of plagiarism, et cetera, at the time were very different, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, who cares if, you know, we found another short source for Shakespeare? Firstly, I absolutely do care if we found another source for Shakespeare, even if it's a relatively, <laughs> well, more trivial than this. We absolutely do. Because at the end of the day, it's Shakespeare. When we talk about like the pedestals yeah. of Western civilization, there's Shakespeare and then there's everyone else. Anything that right, can right, right, give right. any level of insight into like what that creative process was. I'm I'm like really phenomenally interested, and I'm not. I was I was <laughs> yeah. never the bit. I'm not the biggest Shakespeare fan in the world. I had to spend a whole semester on it at uni, and honestly, at the end of that semester, I was like, I've had enough, thank you. I like the guy. Yeah, yeah. I tip my hat, but not not my favorite yeah. thing in the world. Um, but if we're but, interested in art at all, and, and we're that interested is exactly in my perspective, creativity, yeah. then we have to think about like how the sausage gets made, which we say on the podcast all the time, and it's one of the worst <laughs> phrases. But do we? Know. Pretty dreadful. I've never noticed <laughs> oh, that. It's, what are you talking about? Every time we interview an author, we're like, how would you give um, you like make a food related? <laughs> I think I asked, uh, I forget who it was now. Um, we were like, if you had to come up with like a food related metaphor for writing, what would it be? Because the joke was that we expected them all to say the sausage getting made. Right, 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 right. Anyway, Rachel, <laughs> Rachel hasn't listened oh, yeah. to our back catalog as much as I have. I just, I have no memory of us being like, man. It's been like three or four times. We say this all the time. I know, but we've got like a hundred episodes. Anyway, we need to be interested in the sausage. That's what I'm saying. I'm interested too. <laughs> I'm yeah. interested in sausages. There's, for example, there is another contemporary of Elizabethan writer, Thomas Lodge, wrote a prose work kind of considered one of the earliest um, mm. novels in the English language called Rosalind, um, which is kind of like the main source as far as people are concerned for, um, oh my God, As You Like It? Romeo and Juliet? Oh, As You Like It. I was going to say there is a Rosalind in Romeo and Juliet. Rosaline, but... I guess, but yeah. Rosaline, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so Dennis McCarthy's actual, he says that the source mm. is uh, Thomas North's play and then to ah. Thomas Lodge's Rosalind is based on that. Interesting. And then I was like, well... Has anybody written anything? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but like, like again, like there are, there are varying degrees of based on. So Thomas, I don't, th I don't think there's any kind of idea that Thomas Lodge substantially stole like or, or took or just used the language wholesale from that play. But the, the plot is based on that, which again is right. perfectly like normal within the, the understood conventions of the time and most times, I guess. I mean, what's an original plot at the end of the day? But I, I was thinking like, well, independently, I thought, well, what are other ways to think about the uh, the kind of development of language, commonalities of language, things like that? I was like, well, why don't I just go into OED online and just like look yeah. up authors and just be like, well, what is the through line of some of like the etymology of, of certain words? Thomas Lodge, Lodge, as a translator, unsurprisingly coined a lot of words for the first time in the English language, like risible is, is his word. As in R I S I B L E. So what is risible? Like laughable, like risable, right? or yeah, well, like laughable, yeah. So rise, ri oh, okay. do you guys say risable? Like derision. Oh, but we don't use that word yeah. anymore. Well, we we, this is the UK. I mean, we're we're we, good. We don't say it, but that's how we would say it. Were we <laughs> to say it, <laughs> okay. 
We're, we're a few uh, centuries behind you guys, so we still have all these old-timey words. Like I get a rise out riz. of this. <laughs> you know, that's a good thing. Putting the riz so on. So that, that, for example, is like a Thomas North word. But it's basically just a direct borrowing from the French um, but, you know, right. we just pronounce it Englishly. Yeah. But there are a few other words. So <laughs> Wait, who came up with bedroom? I have to know. Bedroom? Was it Shakespeare or time? Bedroom. That's like the bedroom. big word where people say, oh, Shakespeare, he invented a million words. He invented bedroom. You always hear oh, that I in, yeah, in I like, high school. Oh, I had not heard that. Uh, I don't, I don't oh, know. We've got to ask Dennis. But you could look it up on OED. Um, <laughs> the, the one that caught my attention was Kirtle Axe, which is basically an alternative spelling or translation of of a French word, which we today we would use cutlass, like like the sword, like a cutlass. Yeah. Oh, so okay. it was basically yeah. a, an alter, alternative version of cutlass that didn't catch on. Cutlass, let's be honest, <laughs> is cooler. Kirtle axe, less Stop cool. Stop trying to make cutter axe a thing, Gretchen. <laughs> <laughs> Before the death of Shakespeare, Kirtle axe appears only in, in Thomas North's work, then in Thomas Lodge's Rosalind, and then spoken by Rosalind in Shakespeare's play. And then, like, it just, it almost completely dies out. I mean, it's barely used at all. It's not like it was ever a serious contender yeah. with Cutlass for so that word. So there almost kind of are, almost kind of are some, like, direct comparisons to, like, evolution, like we started out saying. Yes. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah, trying yeah. to figure out, like... It was the survival of the fittest, and that word just was not fit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And honestly, this this way of looking and thinking about art, I think is, I mean, I've, I've kind of, in a much less kind of well-evidenced page, just thought about this kind of thing. Like, when I think about art generally, I did like a video on like a Beach Boys tune that kind of mm-hmm. argues similarly, like Brian Wilson probably lifted this melody from here, this kind of idea, ling- uh, like lyrically from here, and yeah. he just kind of mushed it all. Yeah, in. you. That's kind of your whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that is actually kind of my head. Well, that's exactly how I came across this. As I said, it's, it's like, well, mm-hmm. I want to use Shakespeare as again the central pillar or pedestal of English or yeah. of we- the Western canon to argue like if this guy did it, why the hell can't anyone else? Like, I want good art. That's what I want. I don't care if someone. Yeah. Okay. Th- know- again, there's a line. There's a line of plagiarism, but that's what I want. Anyway, um, so. Things like that, that kind of like uh, etymology. So again, at the very least, it seems to me like Thomas Lodge, um, who wrote Rosalind and Shakespeare, would have read that specific translation because there's nowhere else that that, that translation... The French word, I think, is... No, they all cutlass. just happen to come up with curdle at the same <laughs> exactly, time. Exactly, Terrible so phrase. <laughs> the, the, Rosalind th- the Rosalind thing is interesting because Rosalind is... was. I'm not even sure if it was a name at all before oh, um, mm. Thomas Lodge. Maybe it was, but it wasn't very well. I don't think it was an English name. Maybe it was like of Germanic origin. It was at the very least phenomenally rare. Um, who, and people have asked for ages, like, who, who was Rosalind originally? Because the original source of the name Rosalind is actually Edmund Spencer, who was, again, a contemporary yeah. poet who wrote this huge long work called The Fairy Queen that I was supposed to read at university and I got like a quarter <laughs> of the way through and I thought... No, thank you. We need to do that on our podcast at some point. We haven't uh, yet. Um, Not you, Jacob. You don't have to do it. <laughs> no, please do it. don't. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> but he wrote um, uh, Shepherd's Calendars, which is like a series of little poems. And he talks about like his true love, Rosalind, in it. And he gives like a little clue about who Rosalind is. And he says, oh, it's basically an anagram of the real person's name. And he describes where this person was brought up, blah, 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 blah. Was it just like... <laughs> He didn't want her to know that she, he liked her or something, and it's like I, again, how, again, it, it can't have these... been that hard to figure out who that is. Weird, like <laughs> early. Well, I guess like. <laughs> Hold on, I need to know what is an anagram of Rosalind. <laughs> Linda Roz, that was her real name, really. <laughs> no, a lot of these kind of like hidden references at the time were made 
not to hide something, but to just be like a sly reference for the people who were in the in crowd, they would know exactly who it was. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it wasn't really there to hide. Anyway. Fun little puzzle, like with Taylor Swift's clues. <laughs> someone totally independent of Dennis McCarthy, by the way, like a hundred years ago, has quite credibly argued that Rosalind is an anagram of Eliza Nord, <laughs> who is Thomas Nord's daughter. And like, again, this is complete. And I'm just like, well, this is, this is what, like, that feels like that's a possible link rather than a probable one, because. Yeah. Yeah. That is kind of like literary kind of like interpretation. But the fact that someone is independently arguing it, it's just like, right. it's just come up again. Why? Who the hell is this Thomas North guy? And why does why he is this keep cropping up? Yeah. There's, it's, it's there's only one exact anagram for Rosalind and it's ordinals. So Ordinals. Oh. Well, that's, yeah. that's, I'm, in, yeah, I'm in love with ordinals. <laughs> <laughs> and like Thomas North certainly was in the same kind of um, circles as uh, Edmund Spencer. I think they may have been stationed to Ireland at like the same time, um, but they were like, like they knew each other. It's like, I, can't think. I, and, I don't like hearing about English people being stationed to Ireland. <laughs> like, well, yeah, that's well, my well, antenna. Well, <laughs> neither do I, but I, that's what happened. <laughs> um yeah, no. Pretty shameful. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, but Shakespeare was really good, so you know that that balances yeah. it out. Back to him. Yeah. What's another, another one that stuck out to me was um, the mousetrap play in Hamlet, the play within a play, mm-hmm. Death of Gonzago. People have argued, and again, completely independently of Thomas North, and it's it's it seems pretty broadly accepted, although I don't think you can definitively say it is the case that. That story is based on a real life story of the death of the Duke of Urbino in I think like 1535, who was poisoned in his in the gardens of his villa and like his son avenged him, blah, blah, blah. And people have been like, well, if that is the case, and it, like the, the stories basically have these huge parallels and uh, people seem to think it's, it's very likely. How did Shakespeare hear about it? Because we've only recently really rediscovered that yeah. story. I don't know whether it was right. through like manuscripts that have just yeah. recently come to light. Uh, again, Thomas Thomas North met the guy, the Duke of Amido's son in that <laughs> villa yeah. in Italy yeah. in like the 1550s. And you're like, well, it would all of this would be different. The, the Rosalind link and that link would be different. He was well-traveled. <laughs> yeah, he was, I guess, within like Europe. Shakespeare never went to Italy at all. The, those links would be worth far less to me. If, if Dennis McCarthy was making those arguments himself, even if they were well-substantiated, I'd be like, well... Again, this comes yeah. back to the motivated reasoning thing. But to find that those yeah, links yeah. are out there completely independent of him is, mm-hmm. again, it's just intellectual green flags. He's not making these big <laughs> claims himself. He's just finding these substantiating yeah. claims himself and going, guys, you know, they, they kind of, they're linked. Also, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'll take this out if I'm wrong because it'll be too confusing, but isn't in Twelfth Night, isn't oh, oh, Duke, of, Duke, of Or- Duke of Orsino, Orsino, not Orbino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 think, I think that's just a kind of broad coincidence. Okay, so I was like, wait a second, that could be another connection. No. That is, okay. it is funny though. There's so many questions yeah. where everybody's like, I wonder how Shakespeare knew about that. And it's like, yeah. well, if, if it was this other guy, we know yeah. how. <laughs> well, because Thomas North was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So people have questioned, like, you know, because Shakespeare's geography is sometimes iffy. And there's one about, yeah. I can't even remember which play it is now, but it's a, about someone references sailing between Milan and maybe another nor- northern Italy, it- Italian city, like sailing between these two cities. It's like, but they're both landlocked mm-hmm. cities. How, how does it make any sense? Like yeah. Shakespeare doesn't know his geography. It's like, actually at the time they were, they were linked by canals. Um, and oh. you probably only know that maybe if you were there, I guess you could if you were potentially Thomas know North. that. Yeah. Because like if you looked at there, a map, you would never suggest that you sailed. 
yeah, 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 because like, too landlocked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the rivers that go between the cities don't actually naturally touch each other at any point, but they were linked by canals yeah. kind of at the time. Oh. Um, and again, oh. that to me is not like, that's not a probable, that feels like a possible link rather than a probable link. It's not dispositive. It's just like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but again, I, I, some of these are quite trivial, but some of the ones that just keep popping up, I'm like, what? What? <laughs> What? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wonder if we we should tell this to um, Ada Palmer, who's a mm-hmm. historian we talked to about Romeo and Juliet. She's a historian of she's the... she's a an Italy person, really. But which is why she's interested in Romeo and Juliet. They're called Italians, actually. <laughs> she's an <laughs> she's Italy not person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's a she's American, but she she's a professor and she does a lot of stuff about like Italy. <laughs> yeah. But she knows about Shakespeare uh, more than the average. Yeah, she's heard of Shakespeare. <laughs> I wonder what she would say if we told her this theory. She's just very interesting and mm-hmm. interested in in a ton of stuff. So, well, mm-hmm. and she's a historian, so she yeah. understands and appreciates. Yeah, I mean, we had her on. Didn't we? We ended up interviewing her for like she talked to us for almost five hours, and we had to be like, she did. Oh my god, we got to stop talking to you. There's just too much. <laughs> Five hours, yeah. Jesus. She, I mean, honestly, yeah. she might be interested. She's just... Um, you yeah, should so email her. Maybe we'll email her. <laughs> but again, the risk is that she might just go, oh, I don't think so. I think you guys have been hoodwinked. But that's the <laughs> thing. I mean, she's... Even if this isn't, you know, I think historian... She's very intellectually curious, though, so... and But you think all historians should be, like, you know, and they understand how to analyze the data and look at the resources and yeah. figure things out. So, I mean... I wonder if I she wonder knows if about Thomas her. North, like, as a famous... Guy who went yeah. to Italy. Yeah. So. Maybe what was what was her name? Sorry, Ada we, Palmer. Uh, Ada Palmer. A D A Palmer. Um, yeah. She's also she an author. The University of Chicago. She wrote a yeah. really great. You should read it, Jacob. She wrote a fantastic science fiction series, and it's all about like philosophy and like yeah. the philosophy of government, basically. So mm. I highly yeah. recommend it. We we split our five hour conversation into multiple episodes, and they're some of my favorite episodes we've ever done. Like they're she's yeah. so interesting. Um, yeah. So anyway, nice. I'm plugging those. But yeah, and Jacob, have you made a video yet about this topic on your channel, or are you, you gotta going do it? To? You should be the first one to make a YouTube video about this. <laughs> I mean, you Just could get it. famous off it. Of, like we have to let this story out there. He has um he has a YouTube channel. With about ten subscribers, so he, he yeah, but you, yeah, but you have like over a thousand. Yeah, yeah, you have a hundred times more than that. <laughs> no, that still makes it sound pitiful. I mean, it is pitiful. It's just over a thousand. Well done. Yeah. Not for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want everything on my channel to be to do with music. So I do. I do kind of want. I do want to yeah. tackle this. But it is related, like you, you said. You want to make the video? We'll put it on our YouTube channel. <laughs> But so I'm, I'm going to be very honest. I, I, I am, I am not. I, I myself, I'm not willing to just. I'm, I worked hard on that channel. I don't want to yeah. take that <laughs> reputational risk of looking like a lunatic Fireball and being it. the, the, yeah. uh, the, the Shakespeare authorship channel when I, it's a music channel. Um, and right, I, but yeah. I do, I do want to talk about it because like that, that creative process, whether yeah. you believe like Thomas North is a real genius, that creative process is well substantiated enough. And the original point was there before I even looked all this stuff up. Right. So I can't not tackle it. But you know. Given how I've basically just been reading about, I've basically been looking after a baby, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. working occasionally, um, and uh, researching this. It's like I've not had time to actually do <laughs> the things I wanted to do with my right. life. In that time. <laughs> I got sidetracked. <laughs> yeah, man. 
Okay, well, Jacob's channel on YouTube is called Big Yellow Praxis, and we had actually one of our listeners write in one time and asked how to spell that because he thought it was Big Yellow Practice. So it's P-R-A-X-I-S if you want to go check out Big Yellow Praxis. His videos are quite fun. Um, We -hmm. intersect at different points. Yeah, just just if, having listened to this for the last hour or so, you think I'm a lunatic, don't worry. Don't go to Big Yellow Practice. My YouTube channel's not like that. (laughs) No, do go to it because it's nothing like that. It's nothing like that. If you think he's a lunatic, yeah, check out his channel. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's that's really interesting. I'm going to, yeah, tell me, uh, I'll I'll look into this. I, I will read the book and I will maybe I'll try to get in touch with at least with McCarthy maybe with that journalist I'd be, I'd be very Seems interested like he in... wants his stuff out there I would mm-hmm. if I'd done all this work yeah on it. I'd be interested in pulling these threads a little bit more mm-hmm. so um... it's funny because again I was I, I was quite frank with him I basically just said great research good work terrible strategy terrible strategy yeah. <laughs> that that needs some work um right yeah. that he is thomas north like he did not popularize his own stuff well enough even though he did all this so we have to help him so you're saying that i should popularize it and take the credit yes, we're saying your exactly. shakespeare yeah <laughs> i uh i'm not gonna since all i've done so far is heard jacob talk about it i'm not gonna 100 percent. i'm not gonna say oh i agree with this oh no yeah no you book. shouldn't you shouldn't no yeah, but yeah, i yeah. agree the the chain of logic sounds solid but i agree that it's interesting and i want to look into it again it just takes people it needs people like looking at it independently because at the end of the day one person even if you're the greatest genius in the planet if you're researching one thing by yourself like like you are of course like i am Mm -hmm. no no i even if you Dennis McCarthy's done some really great research and he's yeah. put together a really solid case. He's the if genius you, behind Jacob. No matter who you are, <laughs> if you're just one person, you're going to make, like, it, it's not going to be as solid a case as it could be right. without being subject to a bit of, like, critical pressure. It's just not. So right. as far thing. as I'm concerned, yeah. if it's a good argument, it will just be strengthened. If it's a bad argument, then I look at, like, a little bit of a fool, but it will, it, the, the idea will die. It's highly unlikely at this point it's going to happen unless, again, he's literally falsified loads of evidence. I don't think he's done that. (laughs) This is going to become a thing at some point if everything is sound. And in science, we need things to be reproduced. So if you don't trust where he got his stuff, go do it yourself. Yeah, check it out. Well, that's really cool and interesting. I'm happy to happy that we got to hear this i don't know what i i purposefully didn't research this theory before we talked because i kind of wanted to have jacob explain it and just react to that i'll just from what you're telling me if the information that he put out there is accurate and the way you're conveying it is accurate to me it seems like shakespeare was a guy who was involved with plays and he wrote plays he bought plays from this other playwright did a little something to them. Added his own peculiar flavor. Put them on. They became huge for him. And that's just just because of how things were published back then. It got transmitted down to us as he wrote all of this stuff himself. But borrowed. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Bro- broadly speaking, that is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, he, so he was a real guy. He did yes, write yeah, some plays, edit some 100%. plays. Yep. But the theory seems to be he acquired these plays legitimately from Thomas North. Mm-hmm. And just did whatever he wanted with them, which he was allowed to do. Yeah. He yeah, was yeah. the borrowed that, yeah. bard. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, that You know, that, I like that. Fine. I think if for most of the, the anti-Stratfordian people, their theory just kind of makes me angry. I'm like, yeah. if that was true, yeah. I would not like it. I would be unhappy. <laughs> but if this is true, I'm like, yeah, whatever that. Yeah, yeah. I get that. That sounds good. <laughs> we could spin it. 
Where where was Thomas North from? We could make every Shakespearean argument anti that place. Yeah, so he's um he he was uh from like Cambridgeshire, a place called Kirtling. 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 K I R T L I N G. All right, we're anti Kirtlingans. <laughs> no, no, we're we're pro. Shakespeare's are anti Kirtling. It's interesting because some of the like biographical arguments for links with Shakespeare is like, oh, this there's a character in the play which is a reference to Richard Field, which is Shakespeare's potentially brought up with him in Stratford and he was his publisher. Yeah. Richard Field was also Thomas North's publisher. It's like, well, it's like, well, it's like, well okay, well, at the end of the day, at the very least, it doesn't substantiate the claim for Shakespeare on that point. Also, it is quite funny. Yeah. I have seen people say, in reference to Arden of Faversham, Ard, I can't say that. Why can't I say that? Arden of Faversham. I'll put in the robot Jacob to fix it every time you mess it up. <laughs> Jacob here. I'm here to fix Jacob. I, I've seen like credible places say that, oh, you know, because the other character, main character in Arden of Faversham is Thomas Arden. And people say, in support of the argument that Shakespeare wrote, well, Shakespeare had a relative called Thomas Arden. You're like, yeah, but half sister. It's like, it's like yeah, nothing compared to us. Anyway. Anyway. Okay. Well, you've given us a lot to think about. This was a wonderful conversation. I am very sorry we didn't record the Wawa conversation. What happened Ugh. before that was before we started recording, Jacob said, I'm going to go get a glass of water. And we made fun of him for dropping his consonant. And then Rachel was testing her mic and she went, wah, 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 wah. And I said, ooh, uh, perfect perfect wah-wah-wahs. And Jacob came back at that moment and thought that that was <laughs> like American slang for water <laughs> or, said something or something. like, love, like, nice wah-wah-wah or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, that's not just like my cute little term for... <laughs> I did suspect it was an evolution of the way I said water. <laughs> I did I did highly yeah. suspect. I heard wah-wah-wah and I was like, motherfuckers. <laughs> They're mocking me. <laughs> I'm Here we drop go again. Another consonant and another vowel, <laughs> and add some extra syllables. <laughs> no, that time we anyway. were that time we were not. Well, I also felt a little attacked when you said, "What was it, Kerning? Where th where's that guy from? Kurtling. Kurtling. He said Kurtling. Like that's how we had to Kurt. say it to get us to understand. And I was like, "Wow, that sounded goofy as hell." <laughs> I feel a little attacked. Uh -huh. All right, Jacob. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day at a time when you did not expect to. Wait, here's another thing, Jacob. I know you don't want your reputation to be attached, whatever, but if you if you would like to do an episode where you talk to this guy and record it, we will put I, it on no, our I could podcast. Do, I could I could do that. I could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if if that's like if that's something you're interested in cuz you've done you've gone down this rabbit hole already. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I would be happy to read the book and then if you wanted to do an episode that you're on and this guy's on, I could join you or if you just want to talk to him yourself, we will put it here. We'll put our reputation. Yep. We are happy yeah, to yeah, yeah. take <laughs> your labor and time and use it to fill a slot in our we'll podcast schedule. I will want to. Yeah. And, and we'll again, people should read the book. People should read the evidence yeah. and they should read it with the most critical eye possible and then take it from that. Because again, good idea will stand up to this kind of criticism. So any, like, even the most trivial criticism, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, just needs to be, it just needs to be like a laser focus. It's just like, that's wrong, Seems that's like wrong. Seems like you'd honestly be happy for it to fall apart. Seems like you would sleep better <laughs> so at night. Stop yeah. <laughs> getting obsessed <laughs> with I, it. Yeah. Prob probably, yeah, probably would. But also like, if, it, if it's a bad idea, I think it will fall apart. But I, I'm yet to see a real substantive engagement yeah. with it that comes out the other side going, 
It's all nonsense. The other yeah. funny thing I will say about this, so I'm trying to say for the audience, just to sum it up, this the books we're talking about are Thomas North, the original author of Shakespeare's plays by Dennis McCarthy, and also North by Shakespeare by... Michael Blanding. By Michael Blanding. Yeah. I'm only halfway through that book, but it's, it's a good book. Okay. It's a good one. The funny thing is that uh, SirThomasNorth.com, which is Dennis McCarthy's website, has... I guess what is a cover of either his book or his like online manuscript, uh, Thomas. Yeah, no, it is. You can buy it on Amazon. Thomas North, the original author of Shakespeare's plays, but the cover design has the words, the original author of Shakespeare's plays in what looks like a huge blood splatter, (laughs) which I imagine is supposed to be ink, but it looks like a huge blood splatter on a page. (laughs) And I think that may not be doing him any favors either. Possibly not. I I bought a, uh, ebook version so i didn't see the um blood splatter yeah look it up (laughs) it looks like someone shot someone and the original i'm I'm pulling it up right now i'm curious we can post it on our instagram it does look like blood and maybe that's just a kind of like reference to you know like (laughs) like theatrical tragedy i don't know i don't know blood that doesn't look like ink at all i will say if i saw that book in a shop i would stay away from it yeah (laughs) yeah okay so we need some branding work but anyway all right thanks jacob um Anything else we want to say other than go I'm back done. to your baby? You want to plug yeah. your baby? Yeah. She's cool. Uh, yeah, she's yeah, she's cool. Yeah, she's she's gonna make waves. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> Twenty years right. time. It would be very funny if you raise her to not know about Shakespeare at all, and she's just like, "Oh yeah, Romeo and Juliet by Thomas North." That <laughs> um, the new, ge- quite literally, the new generation. No, that I mean that would be funny, but that would be psychotic. Yeah, man. <laughs> Her mom might have a problem with that. There are many funny ways you could raise a child that you shouldn't, but yeah, that's not the craziest one. You could teach them all their colors backwards or something. Oh, that I'm into that one. That's funny. That's both funny and morally okay. Cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Um, You can catch Jacob on YouTube at Big Yellow Praxis. Mm -hmm. We are um, at Fire the Cannon Pod at everything. And if you'd like to join our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash fire the cannon. And you can go listen to our original fake spear episode where we examined some of the more spurious theories we totally ignore the idea of thomas north because it did not pop up in it didn't <laughs> pop up in our research reading. and yeah cool all right everybody you want to say bye 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 <laughs>